Good morning, church family. In case you hadn't noticed, I'm not Pastor Ken or Pastor Justin. I'm the elder the other elders refer to as the elder elder. I'm not sure what they're referring to when they say that, but I love them anyway. As the missions committee was planning the spring mission emphasis several weeks ago, Pastor Ken and Pastor Justin were planning on being away at a conference in Kentucky, so I volunteered to do a missions-oriented message. It was a conference with some great speakers like David Platt, John Piper, and John MacArthur, and others along with some interesting workshops. They were both looking forward to going, but obviously because of the pandemic, the conference was canceled. Well, I thought that since we didn't have a spring missions emphasis, I'd be off the hook. But Pastors Ken and Justin gently encouraged me to do a missions-oriented message when they finished the study of the book of James. We know how hard our pastors have been working and putting together the Sunday morning messages and a daily devotion. So I wanted to take time to give a message and give these fellows a break. I hope you've been listening to all the teaching on James and the wonderful daily devotions that pastors have been doing. They're well worth your time. I really want to thank Stephen Lasnick, who's behind the scene taping this message. Hopefully he won't have to edit too much. Would you join me in prayer as we begin our time together? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for this opportunity to be together, even though it's video calling, video conferencing. Uh, I just ask that you would uh, allow us to be able to hear your voice above all the clamor that's in the world as we go through some scriptures together, as we learn about uh, missions uh, from a different perspective than what folks might be thinking about this morning. And I just ask that through it all, Lord Jesus, you would be honored and glorified and high and lifted up. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I entitled this message, Who Will Answer the Call? When I consented to speak about missions, the Lord put on my heart to share a brief history of how the whole concept of missions and missionaries began in the United States. But before we dive into that discussion, I want to take us back to the beginning of Alfred Elman Bible Church. Many of you attending now probably don't realize that the, from the founding of our church, it has been a mission-minded organization. I personally believe that one of the reasons God has blessed us so much is that we support missions and missionaries around the world through prayer and finances. The credit for that vision of being a mission-minded church truly is uh, started with our very own first pastor, Dan Kenyon. Dan had a heart for missions, and he shared that passion with the leadership from the very beginning. By God's grace and your faithful giving, through the years, we continue to support 15 missionary families around the globe. To God be the glory. The very first missionary family sent by Alfred Elm Bible Church was one of our founding elders, Alan Pierce. Alan had a huge impact on my life and the lives of many others that knew him. Alan and his wife Sharon and their three children went into training in New Tribes in 1978. Sadly, near the end of that training, 
The Lord took Alan to heaven in January of 1980 as a result of an automobile accident. The verse that I treasure whenever I think of Alan and many other godly men in my life is Hebrews 13:7, which says, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the outcome of their way of life, imitate their faith. Now on to what I'm hoping will be of interest to you and challenge you to think about how you might allow missions to make a great impact in your life. You might begin to think right away of great men, men of faith that evangelized like Jonathan Edwards in the 18th century, or maybe Charles Finney and D.L. Moody in the 19th century, and most recently Billy Sunday and Billy Graham of the 20th century. All these men were associated with great revivals both in our country and other countries. There's another form of evangelism, and that evolved with the beginning of missions, both locally and around the world. As a nation, we have honored and remembered many of those who have gone before us and have made a difference in our lives. Having said that, as Christians, I believe it's important to know about some of those who went before us, who made a difference and established the missionary movement in America. How many of you remember when you were in school, and some of you still are, when the teacher gave you a pop quiz? I can hear you groaning right now, because I'm going to give you a pop quiz. That's the bad news, but the good news is there's only one question with lots of parts. But first, let's begin by defining what a missionary is. The dictionary defines a missionary as a person sent on a religious mission especially one sent to promote Christianity in a foreign country. I would like to suggest a very simple but profound answer. A missionary would be someone who allows God to interrupt their life. Let me say that again. A missionary is someone who allows God to interrupt their life. That could be you or me. We have 15 families or individuals that our church supports who have made that commitment. A family that immediately comes to mind is Seth and Caitlin Sanford serving with Ethnos 360. They are third generation missionaries and Seth's parents and grandparents have been godly models and mentors to those families. As a result, Seth and Caitlin were obedient to God's call in their lives and allowed the Lord to interrupt their lives. After being trained for several months, they moved halfway around the world to Papua New Guinea with a three-year-old and a newborn. Why, you might ask? I would answer this question this way, that question this way. A dear missionary friend of mine, of ours, Diane and I, Harold Davis, told me several years ago, if a person doesn't have a burning desire to reach the lost for Christ, they shouldn't apply to New Tribe's mission. That's why Seth, Caitlin, Natalie, and Lauren traveled to Papua New Guinea halfway around the world to work with the Konamala people. They have a burning desire to reach the lost. So what do the scriptures say about missions? If we were to search the scriptures, you wouldn't find the phrase world missions, but it's implied in many scriptures. Our Lord was definitely mission-minded. Let's look at some of those scriptures together, and many of which will be familiar. 
beginning in the Old Testament and then on to the New, listen for some key words or phrases that you might think relate to, to missions. Let's begin with Isaiah 40, verse 9. A portion of it says, Get yourself up on a high mountain, O Zion, bearer of good news. Lift up your voice mightily, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. And then on with Isaiah 52, verse 7, a portion of that. How lovely are the mountains, are the feet of him who brings good news. That thought of good news is repeated in Nahum 1.15 and in Romans 10.15. The good news in those passages refer to the message of peace, happiness, and salvation found only in the Lord. The good news was for all nations. Psalm 96.3 says, Tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among all people. It doesn't get any plainer than that, folks. This is a reiteration of the promises given to Abraham in Genesis 12, 1-3, and a call to missions in Matthew 28, 18-20. Now, in the New Testament, we find some familiar verses supporting the mission's theme. Matthew twenty four fourteen says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a witness to all nations, and then the end shall come. Did you get that? The last part of that verse, the end shall come. It doesn't say it might come. It says it shall come. That's a promise from God himself. The end shall come should be a powerful motivator for all of us sharing our faith. Please pray for opportunities to share your faith with someone today. Then on to Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. This is the verse most of you probably can quote. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You no doubt heard many messages on that verse, but the question to all of us is, are we doing it? It's a command from Almighty God. Going on to Luke 24 verses 46 to 47 he said to them thus it is written that Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem and finally we find in Luke 19:10, for the son of man has come to seek and save that which was lost that sure sounds like a mission minded savior to me those scriptures support the concept of missions. Now let's transfer to learn about the history behind the beginning of the missionary movement in America. Ecclesiastes 1.9 says, That which has been is that which will be, and that which has been done is that which will be done. So there's nothing new under the sun. Now you might be asking yourself, what has that verse got to do with missions? If there's nothing new under the sun, then looking to the past to reach the present is critically important. Let's look at the past. In August of 1806, five men from Williams College met to pray for a lost world. During a rainstorm, they sought shelter under a haystack. 
Out of that prayer meeting, which is often referred to as the Haystack Revival, they committed themselves to become missionaries. Led by Samuel Mills, the five saw the first missionaries launched in 1812. These same men in the following years founded six mission agencies, and in the U.S., Samuel Mills is credited with having the greatest influence the modern missionary movement. He played a role in founding the American Bible Society, the United Foreign Mission Society, and the Haystack Meeting was also credited for leading to the formation of the American Board of Commissioners of Foreign Missions. Now, I bet by now you think I've forgotten that pop quiz. Not a chance. Here it is. If I were to ask you what the initials SVM stand for, how many of you would know? You can raise your hands, but I wouldn't be able to see you. If you know what the SVM stands for, how many of you know when it started and where and who its founders are? Well, we're going to start in London, England. The YMCA was founded by George Williams in London in 1844. Their initial goal was to equip students on college campuses to lead Bible studies, do evangelism, and most importantly, pray. Sure has changed, hasn't it? In 1885, a man named Luther Wishard was a collegiate minister for the entire YMC organization. At that time, the YMC was considered the nerve center of American colleges. Imagine that. In 1865, a man by the name of John Mott was born in Livingston Manor, New York. Before he died in 1955 at the age of 90, John Mott is not only the founder of student volunteer movement, but for 32 years he was its chairman and, more importantly, its leader. James 5.17 tells us that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. I don't know about you, but that verse is a big comfort to me. John Mott also had a nature like Elijah. He wasn't a superhero, but certainly a man who had totally committed his life to serving the Lord. Let's learn more about John Mott. At age 16, John Mott attended Upper Iowa University, as a, which was a Methodist prep school. And during those four years, he struggled to give his whole life to Christ. Ever have that problem of really turning your whole life over to Christ? I certainly have at times. Be honest with yourself. That struggle led uh, John Mott to enroll at Cornell University at 20 years old. He found himself there in the company of Christian students, which is not a coincidence. But still unsettled after only four months at Cornell, John Mott left to become the vice president of YMCA. While serving at YMCA, John Mott received an invitation from Luther Wishard to Mount Hermon's summer project. Remember, Luther Wishard was the collegiate minister for the YMCA. In July of 1886, Luther Wishard, under his leadership, 251 students from 89 campuses came to hear none other than D.L. Moody. A senior at Princeton named Robert Wilder met John Mott at the Summer Project, and in God's divine plan, Wilder wove the thought of missions into John Mott's mind every time they were together 
even though Mott tried to avoid him. Do you remember when people used to try to talk to you about Christ and you just wanted to avoid that person? I think that's what uh, Mr. Mott was feeling at that point. But after hearing D.L. Moody speak, Wilder took to prayer and successfully mobilized 100 students to be foreign missionaries. They were referred to as the Mount Hermon 100, and of those 100 students, Mott was selected along with three others to travel to various campuses and spread the vision of missions. After just one year, 162 campuses were visited, and the result was 2,106 students that volunteered to be missionaries. 2,106 students volunteered to be missionaries. As of 2010, the student volunteer movement has yielded approximately 20,000 missionaries that have gone into the field and approximately 80,000 missionaries who stayed behind in a support role. The student volunteer movement is arguably the greatest movement of mission mobilization that Christianity history, Christian history has ever known. It's been documented that most, not, if not all, missionary movements and revivals have been initiated by young people. I hope you caught that. Most revivals in this country started with young people on fire for the Lord. How about you? What's your passion? Revelation 5.9 says this, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men with your blood, men from from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people, people and nation. Moving on to Revelation seven nine, it says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in the white robes. Palm branches were in their hands. If you were to welcome the day when those verses become a reality, our younger generation must be mobilized to witness and prayer and cross-cultural ministry. To bring this message into our world today, I'd like to share a story, a real-life story, written by another dear missionary friend, Rosie Cochran. Rosie and her husband, Matt, along with their four sons, served in Venezuela for many years. And after her husband, Matt, passed away, Rosie moved to Ethno 360 headquarters in Sanford, Florida, where she is the managing editor of all Ethno 360 publications. Rosie just returned from the Philippines this past winter, where she gathered information to write a story about missionaries Jody and Barbara Kane. This is what it means to allow God to interrupt your life and watch him work. It was the night before Jody and Barbara Kane were to move into their newly constructed home, and while they spent the night at their co-worker's home, During that night, their propane refrigerator malfunctioned, started a fire that burned their house to the ground, along with all their earthly belongings. Talk about tragic, hard, discouraging. There was sadness in their voices. 
as the Tegbonwanas said, uh, a thing like this, you can't rebuild here. Your spirits will burn, that burned your house. If you rebuild here, someone in your family will die. You have to leave. It would have been easy for this young missionary family to say, enough of this. We should leave. But they didn't. They weren't fearful of the spirits. They know their God was stronger. Even the Tegbanwanas didn't know that. They pulled out their charred house poles, placing the new house poles in the same holes where the old ones had been, and the villagers watched on. Can't you imagine what was going on in the Tegbanwanas' minds? These missionaries are crazy. What are they doing? They don't even know that spirits will kill one of them? But no one died. And the villagers kept watching, taking note of this strange phenomenon. It wasn't until this trip when Rosie interviewed one of the Tegbanwana church elders that Jody and Barbara fully comprehended the reason and the impact behind the house burning down. It was Lumbuan that gave testimony to it. He said something to this effect. When your house burned down and you set new poles back in the very holes of the original house, that was the turning point. You didn't die. No one in your house died. It proved that your God was more powerful than the spirits we worshipped. Tragedy turned to triumph. A great discouragement led hearts to be drawn to the God of the Bible, and the people became a part of God's family. What a testimony. That's the result of letting God interrupt your life. Jody and Barbara trusted the Lord despite losing everything earthly, and God used this tragedy to bring those tribal people to himself. Many are challenged in many different ways with this COVID-19 pandemic. Some of our own church body have been physically affected by the virus. Others have lost their jobs or had their hours cut. Many are having to work from home, and that can be challenging as well. All of us have had to deal with not being able to fellowship with our own family, including our church family. So where do we go when we're trying to deal with all of this? One answer, the Word of God. There are literally hundreds of promises in His Word. Please take comfort and be encouraged by just a couple verses. Psalm 66, a portion of part, verse 12. We went through fire and water, yet you brought us out in a place of abundance. Don't you think that Jody and Barbara Cain realized that promise of God? And then a very familiar one from Joshua 1, verses 5 and 9. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not tremble and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now let's think about this message that I'm doing from a different perspective. The majority of this message pertains to those who have committed to go into all the world. But what about believers like us who may never go to a foreign field as missionaries? I'd like us to be challenged to listen to this story about an 11-year-old boy who has a heart for the lost, meaning we can be missionaries right where we live. This story was posted 
on Facebook by Mary Hess several weeks ago. Thank you, Mary. Here's what was on that post. The little boy put his clothes on for the cold weather and told his father, Okay, Dad, I'm ready. His dad, a pastor, said, Ready for what? Dad, it's time to go outside and distribute flyers. Dad replied, Son, it's very cold outside and it's drizzling. The child looked and surprised at his father and said, But Dad, people know, need to know about God even on rainy days. Dad replied, Son, I'm not going out in this weather. With despair, the child said, Dad, can I go alone, please? His father waited for a moment and then said, Son, you can go. Here's the flyers. Be careful. Thanks, Dad. And with this, the son went out into the rain. The 11-year-old boy walked all the streets of the village, handing out flyers to the people he saw. After two hours walking in the rain and in the cold, with his last flyer in his hand, he stopped in a corner to see if someone if he could see someone to give a flyer to, but the streets were totally deserted. Then he turned to the first house and saw and walked to the front door and touched the bell several times and waited, but no one came out. Finally, the boy turned to leave, but something stopped him. The child turned back to the door and began to touch the bell and pound the door strongly with his knuckles. He kept waiting, and finally the door was opened gently. A lady came out with a very sad look and gently asked, What can I do for you, son? With radiant eyes and a bright smile, the child said, Lady, I'm sorry to upset you, but I just wanted to tell you that God really loves you and that I came to give you my last flyer, which talks about God and his great love. The boy gave her the flyer, and she said, Thank you, son. God bless you. Well, next Sunday morning, the pastor was in the pulpit when the service began. He asked, Does someone have a testimony or something they want to share? Gently in the back row of the church, an older lady stood up. When she started talking, a radiant and glorious look sprouted from her eyes. Nobody in the church knows me, and I've never been here. Even last Sunday, I wasn't a Christian. My husband died a while ago, leaving me totally alone in this world. Last Sunday was a particularly cold and rainy day. And it was also in my heart that on that day, I came to the end of the road since I had no hope, and I didn't want to live anymore. Then I took a chair and a rope and went up into the attic of my house and I tied the rope to the end of the rafter and I climbed up on a chair and put the other end of the rope around my neck. Then I stood on the chair so alone and brokenhearted I was about to throw myself off the chair when suddenly I heard a loud sound of the door being knocked. So I thought, I'll wait a minute for a while and whoever it is will go away. I waited and I waited, but the door Knocking was getting louder and louder, and every time it got so loud I couldn't ignore it anymore. So I wondered, who could that be? No one ever comes to my door or comes to visit me. I released the rope from my neck and went to the door, and the bell was still ringing and the door was still being knocked on. When I opened the door, I couldn't believe my eyes. In front of me was the most radiant, angelic child I had ever seen. His smile, oh, I can never describe it. The words that came out of his mouth made my heart dead so long come back to life. When he said with the voice of a cherub, Lady, I just want to tell you that God really loves you. When the little angel disappeared between the cold and the rain, I closed my door and read every word of the flyer. Then I went to the attic and removed the chair and the rope. I didn't need them anymore. 
As you see now, I'm a happy daughter of the king. At the direction of the boy when he led, left to his church, I came personally to say thank you to the little angel of God who came just in time, in fact, to rescue my life from an eternity in hell and replace it with an eternity in God's presence. Everyone in the church cried. The pastor came down from the pulpit to the first bench of the front where the little angel was sitting. He took his son in his arms and cried uncontrollably. Remember, God's message can make a difference in someone's life. Never be afraid or ashamed to spread it. If you're listening to this message and have never trusted Christ as your personal Savior, you can do that right now in the privacy of your home or wherever you're watching this message. The first thing to know is that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Not trouble-free, but eternally free. Second is to recognize that all we have done, all the things we have done to offend a holy God, that's called sin. We are all sinners. You need to admit to God that you have sinned against him and ask for his forgiveness that he freely gives. The third thing is to believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he rose from the dead. Romans 10, 9, 10, and 13 sum it up this way, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. And then in verse 13, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Notice it says, not might be saved, but will be saved. That's a promise from Almighty God. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, would you give your heart to Him today? It will change your life forever. If you have any questions about the things I've shared today, please contact the church via the office phone or email or Facebook, and someone will be glad to help you with your questions. In closing, as believers, we are all missionaries, whether in a foreign land or right here where we live. We don't have to be superheroes. We just need to be obedient. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight reminds us of our responsibilities as believers. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Let's learn from the past that we just went through a little bit and reach to the present. Last question. Are you ready to allow God to interrupt your life for his glory? Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the wonderful privilege of sharing a few thoughts about missions, about what you're doing around the world and how you've worked in people's hearts from all generations. We're thankful that you are on the throne, Lord, and you have everything under control, even during this pandemic. Nothing escapes you, Father. You know the beginning from the end. And we thank you for the fact that your precious son went to the cross on his own behalf, for our behalf. And, Lord, that he was obedient himself unto death. And he went to the cross for each one of us. And I ask, Lord God, that you would just Move in the hearts of people that might be listening to this message to 
to have maybe a new perspective on missions or if there is someone out there who has not trusted you as your Savior, you would speak to their hearts today and draw them to yourself. I thank you for this wonderful privilege and I just trust that you've been honored and glorified through it all. We thank you in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.